And it's always a special time to come and be with my friends that I see around Atlanta at the meetings and um, to gather our hugs and to see your faces. And, you know, I know you love me. And um, I know all I have to do is just, you know, know that you're there for me and everything's going to be okay. My higher power is going to be here with me. And um, I just want to, uh, if I could have a moment of silence. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. First time I told my story at a, um, well, it was a fellowship weekend, I was so nervous. And uh, I had met this person at an AA meeting and the very first time, and she said to me, uh, well, you know, you don't have to be nervous. All you have to do is just reach in your pocket, pull out your higher power, and just set it right up in front of you, and then you don't have to worry anymore. And that gave me such peace to know that that's all I have to do. It's just depend on my higher power, whom I choose to call God. And um, my spiritual life that I found in this program helps me to begin my day like that. I begin my day in the morning on my knees because that's where I get connected. I use my knees as if I were plugging in an electric appliance, and that's the way I get connected. And uh, it helps me through the day. I know that I'm a part of God. Um, Well, let me see. How do I begin this? Let's begin with a joke. Uh, Ramona uh, from Oklahoma, I heard her speak at the Atlanta Roundup one time, and I just loved this joke that she told. There was a gal that um, she was having a problem with alcoholism in her family, and she heard about Al-Anon. So she decided to go to the meeting. So she went to Al-Anon, and of course she listened to everything we teach them how to do, to start looking better and start feeling better looking after yourself. So she decided she had not been to the doctor since her last baby was born. So she decided, first of all, she would go and get a checkup. So she went to the doctor to get a checkup. And um, before she left, she got dressed up kind of nice, you know. And um, her husband, whom she was married to and uh, um, living with an alcoholic, and he was lying over here on the couch with no shirt on, no shoes on, had a beer there watching TV. He didn't acknowledge at all when she was leaving. She went on to the doctor. She got back home and he was still lying on the couch had his beer here watching ball game didn't acknowledge that she had come in so she gets between him and the television and she she was amply endowed she said the doctor says that i have the breast of a 20 year old and he looks at her and he says well what did he say about your 50 year old ass she said frankly he didn't mention your name Thank goodness our, our attitudes and our, the way we handle things get better. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm here today to just, I came to share my experience and my strength and my hope. And my experience is what it used to be like. My strength is what happened. And my hope is what it is today when I'm hoping to become one day at a time. Um, And I feel like, you know, I'm going to have to be here a long time. I feel like a newcomer. You know how we do. We just have to keep going back to that first step. Um, But I I was thinking uh, this week, well, let me see. uh, Jerry asked me to come and tell my story. The committee asked me to come. 
and I was beginning to think, now, who am I? Where did I come from? You know, my story is, is my life, and it's where I came from, who, who I, family I was born into, and whatever. Well, I'm a native South Carolinian, and I grew up in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, Greer, South Carolina, in and around. We moved a couple of times, but I was born in, in that area. Uh, I'm the firstborn of four children. That kind of makes me feel like I'm special. It's something that I have been struggling with all my life to be special. Um, and I was the first grandchild on my, uh, on my mother's side. And they all treated me like I was something special. Then I had three others that came into the family, and I guess I lost something. It was like I, I was struggling from then on. And even when I was a little girl, I remember being a people pleaser. I wanted to do things for people to make them love me whether it was uh, cooking something and taking it for them, doing something to make, hoping that they would love me because that was part of my worth. My worth, that, that's how I felt uh, good about myself is when I did something for you. Um, but I struggled with that, uh, playing um, uh, with friends. And um, where I grew up, it was, um, in the, well, part of my growing up time was in a rural area. At, um, actually, if you're, if you're not familiar with that part of the country, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. But six miles away from Greer was an area called Pelham, South Carolina. And it was a mill town. And uh, that's where uh, the mill had, no, no, and had not been in operation for a very long time. But it was a cotton mill. And this is what you see in that part of the country that is not in operation anymore. There was something about it in the uh, Constitution last weekend. It's a large area for textiles. And this was just away about six miles from Greer. But there was a lot of family around that area. And uh, we, my father worked in the, um, in the offices there that taking care of some of the um, businesses as it was a leftover uh, from all the, um, the mill. And then he later uh, bought the, what was once the country, I mean the, um, not the country store, it was like the, um, um, the store that they had for the mill, you know company store, I think they call those. And, um, but anyway, it was a grocery store. And so when we were growing up, we would go, go to school. We had to walk to school. There was no school buses long, way long ago when I was born. <laughs> and uh, uh, so anyway, we would come back after school and go in that old store, and it was just great. They, it's like um, what I love today are primitive antiques. And um, you had the hoop of cheese that was up on the counter and you had a keg of salty fish. It was like salty mackerel. And the peanut butter came in cartons. And you would have these large jars of cookies in the candy counter where you could go pick out your candy. And you know, I, I still have that picture in my mind what that store looked like. And I still love all those things today. I love antiques. And um, they're just great. And um, I, I love to have those. But anyway, I grew up in that uh, part of the country with a lot of family and um, family reunions and um, um, Fourth of July celebrations were in the area where we would have the, somebody would climb the greasy pole and get the dollar and, you know, all such things as that. It was really, it was kind of a fun time growing up. And Christmas and my dad would take us to the woods and we would pick out the Christmas trees and um, make little things, you know, for Christmas. And um, I never understood this one thing that happened. Every Christmas morning, we would, my dad would come and get us up and we would get up and I would always have to be the last one. We would line up as to our ages, and for some reason I had to be the last to go into the Christmas tree to see what had, had been brought, Santa Claus had brought us. So um, 
But anyway, enough of that. Uh, we moved. Uh, we moved away for a short time, and um, and then we moved back to Greer, South Carolina, uh, where I grew up. You know, most of my life. Um, I'll still people pleasing, and um, when when I got into high school, I I felt I felt like I was popular in high school. I had a lot of friends. Um, was in the band, and um, I was the drum majorette in band. And I, I really liked that because it gave me this ability to be in control. I had uh, had this whistle, and I could uh, I could blow the whistle in the band, but I'd get all lined up, just ready to go. I could tell them when to play the play their music and tell them when to stop and when to go. And uh, so that was kind of fun. I enjoyed that. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, and so in that part of um, in my high school was um, I think I was in the tenth grade where. I really feel like I had my first rejection. I don't know, I must have been in the 11th grade, 10 or 11th grade, but I had this boyfriend <coughs> that, um, oh, I was just crazy about him, and we dated for about nine months, and he had, uh, he wore my little uh, friendship ring, very much like this little ring on my finger. And one morning, one of my uh, friends uh, came to me, and uh, he said, Tommy said to bring this back to you. He just laid this ring, you know, and gave it back to me. Never said why or anything. Well, I took that ring, and I was devastated, but I never went to him and asked why he did that. I just accepted it. Like it was just, it, you know, it really hurt a lot, but I never asked any questions. It was just I accepted this. But I felt rejection. And until, you know, this day, I have seen him since. I haven't seen him in years and years and years. But I still wonder, you know, why... Why couldn't he come and tell me that? But I accept that was like unacceptable behavior to me. But, I, but anyway, that, that was my first rejection. So anyway, in um, high school, um, and when I was a senior, uh, I was in the choir at church. And um, so this, this uh, uh, handsome man that was sitting behind me, um, I always saw him in the choir, you know, in the practice and on Sunday mornings. And... Um, I, I thought he was really, you know, handsome, but I never thought about he would be interested in me, but he asked if he could drive me home that night, and I only lived around the corner from this church. And I, I said, well, sure. So he, um, he drove me home, and, and uh, we had, had a good talk. Our families knew each other, and so uh, he asked me out for another date. We began dating, and I fell, just fell right smack in love with him or in lust. I don't know whether it was in love or in lust, but anyway, I fell for him. And um, I'd planned to go away to school, but I fell in love, and, um, and he gave me a diamond ring. And so we were married in July of 1951. And um, that was um, the beginning of a lot of pain for me. I was real happy there, you know? But it was, uh, I had my first baby just two weeks, I think, uh, less and been married nine months and this worried me a great deal because in those days you know those women would check those uh, calendars and remember when she got married and ah you know but um, today I know you know how important was it uh, but I had my first son in 1952 and um, and then um, I became pregnant um, with my second son and uh, during the time um, I, was, I was pregnant with my second son, this husband of mine who was handsome and funny, he made me laugh so much, 
had this great personality, began to have, he had what they called at that time a virus. We just began to hear about viruses. And he had this virus, and he got um, sick, and he just couldn't seem to get over that. He, began, he became like a hypochondriac, and he worried about himself all the time. He went to doctors. He took medications. Um, he just could not get over this. And so, um, unfortunately, he, um, he just couldn't get over this. And um, to the fact that he, um, well, he had a complete nervous breakdown. And so we had to uh, begin uh, going to a psychiatrist. He was under a psychiatric care. And um, he went, um, I don't know, about a month, I think it was, as an outpatient. And we finally had to hospitalize him. And this was... Um, I mean, I, I just couldn't get over what a difference, you know, this was, that he had to be hospitalized and uh, receiving shock treatments. And um, this, I don't know how long this went on. I guess it was, um, well, Peter was born in October. And I, from October until about March, it was, uh, he was an outpatient and had to be committed about in March. And he wasn't getting any better. It was just, you know, shock treatments. And they'd come home, and then he would have to go back and... So <clears throat> the doctor said that we needed to um, commit him to the state hospital because he wasn't really getting any better where he was, and so we uh, had to commit him to the state hospital. And this was so much pain for me to, at this time, you know, I had two babies, and I was so immature. I look back now and think about how immature I was um, to, you know, to, um, to know how to handle, to know how to handle this. Um, and it was devastating to think that he was going to a state hospital uh, to someone that you loved and, um, and you couldn't do anything about it. Um, so, you know, at that time, I didn't know anything about Al-Anon. Um, but the way I coped with that is I just made a decision that I was going to live one day at a time, find something every day that I could look forward to. And, um, and I used to cry a lot. I cried, would cry myself to sleep many times, but yet, when I wasn't crying, uh, like the next day or something, I knew my coping mechanism was to just stuff those feelings and pretend it what it didn't happen. Just pretend that everything was just wonderful. I would smile and um, just keep going. And uh, this this was my coping mechanism. Um, I learned how to pretend. Uh, you know how you pretend growing up, it was just like I, I would pretend that everything was just wonderful, find something to look forward to. Um, well, he, he was not, he didn't get any better. And uh, he would come home and uh, came home and it was, I, had, I moved out of my house and stored the furniture and lived with my mother and daddy. Um, and I, went, I had to go to work. And I went to work full time and had someone come and take care of my children. Um, but this went on for nine years. He was hospitalized for nine years. And um, that was really hard. Um, and I stuffed a lot of feelings because I had, I had his family to cope with. And I, I, you know, today I don't, it's helped me so much in this program to recover from this. And I don't want to dwell on this, but it's a part of my story that I've had, I have recovered from this as well as recovered from the disease of alcoholism, the family disease of alcoholism. Um, but anyway, um, at one time, um, well, I guess it was about um, three years before he died, 
uh, when I was working in an IBM installation um, at Lowenstein Mills, I, um, I met Jerry. And uh, <clears throat> we, um, he asked me, I decided, well, I need to say this first, that during this time that Cecil was hospitalized, um, he came home at one time, or this, the family brought him home uh, to say that, you know, we're going to make this happen. And we know this is not going to happen. The doctor had said you cannot bring him home. He's like, it would be like taking an old car and trying to get to California. You'll never make it. But they insisted, without my knowledge, to bring him home. And they were going to make all this happen. You're going to move out into this little home and everything's going to be wonderful. Well, it wasn't wonderful. And, uh, the fam but because of the, the family came into this, as I told you, I was very immature. Um, I allowed them to, to really make a mess of things. I had my mother on the other side that wanted me to do certain things. And um, so it was, my life was just un unmanageable. And it was like we had had a complete split. Um, he lived with his, mother, his uh, sister and her family. And then um, it wasn't very long before he had to be hospitalized because he was mentally ill. Um, so anyway, um, I had, like I said, I, while he, during the time he was hospitalized, we, it was as if we had separated completely. I could not get a divorce in the state of South Carolina. So we, um, I worked and I met, uh, I met my present husband, Jerry. He came to work in the, um, at the, when they bought their first um, computer, large computer. And I was working in the installation, and this is where I met him. And I was attracted to him in the very beginning. It was if like um, I was just doomed to meet him. Not doomed, but uh, it was like uh, my obsession to meet him. <laughs> I, um, I, I saw him, and you know, I just thought, well, that's, um, I was really interested in him. So, um, I, you know, he was not friendly at all. This is what is so amazing to me. Uh, you know, he didn't flirt with me. He did not, uh, I don't understand it, but I mean, I, that's why I'm saying I was, it was just meant to be that I meet this man, because I just, I saw him, he came in, and he was dressed up in this uh, navy blue suit or black suit, I don't know what, but you know, he was always dressed impeccably and um, he had, uh, I mean, he had, I was just attracted to him. I thought he probably um, would just be great to meet this man, you know. So I met him and he asked me um, to go out. So we went, this was after some months, you know, he was there putting in the IBM installation. Uh, so we went to, um, I don't know what it was, uh, the escapades, I think. So we went out to dinner first, and I was so nervous, I couldn't hardly stand it, going out, you know, with him, because I didn't know him, and he didn't know me, and uh, we went out to dinner, and at that time, uh, we ordered a steak and potato, and they brought a little carton to your table to see if you wanted butter, a sour cream, or, I don't know, bacon or something to put on your potato, and neither one of us put anything on our potato. I said, no, I don't care for anything, and he didn't either. I guess we ate the potato with salt and pepper. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, I thought about that later. I thought, that was so crazy. I really, I like butter on potatoes. <laughs> so we, we went to the escapades, and, you know, that was the beginning that we, you know, we began dating, and, um, and he, he just, um, 
you know, he took me all kinds of places, and he brought bought me gifts, and he I had I had my two sons, uh, uh, Ben and Peter, and um, and he would take us places. We would take the children to the circus, and you know, places like that, and so we continued dating, and he. He would, uh, well, I had never had a drink before I met Jerry. And so we went out to dinner. And um, by the way, you know, um, I, well, I didn't even know what to order. So I would, I would have a drink, and he would have a drink. And, but he wasn't any problem. Uh, he would go out with the guys at work, and I would always know when he had been drinking. And that kind of bothered me because, see, we, never, we didn't drink any at, at home. I didn't grow up with alcohol in the home. But in my family, I need to I need to go back and tell you that uh, I did not grow up in a home that had no that no one drank alcohol. All right, but I I want to go back and tell you that there were a lot of alcoholics in my family. My my grandfather on my mother's side, I'm sure was an alcoholic because I remember specifically uh, arguments or you know at one particular thing I remember really well that he and his son had a really bad fight when uh, we were out at my grandmother's home. None of the other children remember that at all. And, um, and then I had an uncle that, uh, that, that he had a fight with that I'm sure he had a drinking problem and he was my favorite uncle. Um, we always had a good rapport with each other. And um, then my um, a, a younger uncle, had, uh, he had a problem with booze. And uh, and he, in fact, he he, um, I guess he was a bootlegger. Yeah, that's what he did. He he, he was a bootlegger, and he got caught and had to serve time. This this younger uncle of mine, and um, that I always tried to, um, you know, I just never did understand what was going on with him. But but you know, when he had to be, go to jail, then we knew what happened. And then my bro- my dad's, uh, my father had three brothers that had a problem with alcoholism. And um, one of them used to come to our house and um, to, for, for one reason, I couldn't get over how much money he always had. He had this big roll of money. And, um, but anyway, um, the only booth we ever had in our home was my granddaddy when he would come, uh, when we had colds or coughs, and he would bring this little bottle of... Um, um, bourbon or something, and he would drop um, rock candy in it, and that would be like a cough syrup. Now I remember that we would, and it was nasty stuff. But that's what we had for cough medicine. Um, so you know, I was in and around. I saw, you know, I saw alcoholism, but I didn't know what it was. So I, you know, and in the summertime, my um, the Cannon um, reunion was really uh, interesting. We would go to the Cannon reunion. Now that my mother's family, when we would go to the Bagwell reunion, it was sort of just kind of quiet, you know. <laughs> but but the Cannon reunion was very prolific. We would go to the Cannon reunion, and all the men would be sort of off somewhere, uh, maybe at the barn, depending on where the reunion was held. And they would all get feeling really good, you know, when the women would be doing other things. I often wonder if there were some women that would seep, go down there, too, you know. I never did notice that, but I think there probably was some women. But, but the men, because we know um, it couldn't have been all the men. But anyway, the men uh, would always come back. And um, one, one time, I remember in particular, um, they got to fighting. 
and I don't know whether this was before we had the dinner or not, but they got to fighting and cutting each other's ties off. <laughs> and then one uh, uncle, he was, he was having the prayers at the table, you know, before dinner. And um, so he kept praying. Uncle Jason, he was praying and praying, and he kept talking about how, how aristocratic the canons were and just kept going on and on and on. And everybody's hungry, you know. And so his son says, Dad, you know, you've prayed long enough. We're all hungry. <laughs> Everybody began to serve their plate, and Uncle Jason is still praying. But I. <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted you to know that I, I, that I grew up with all that kind of behavior. It's it's not that I had never seen it. I didn't really have it in my home, but it was in the family. And I seem to always remember all that. Um, Okay, back to back to Jerry and I. So, okay. Anyway, we um, Cecil, like I said, he he was hospitalized for nine years, and um, and he died. And um, then about the time that he had died, um, Jerry and I, uh, he was in New York for um, a three-month period of time. And but anyway, he began to say, you know, he we wanted to get married, and I was not sure that that's what I wanted to do. I really questioned that. But, you know, it's like I had been seeing him for these three years, and it was like I, I felt it was like I had to do it, you know. I just didn't even have another choice. So I went right on through that. Uh, I thought I did, and but yet I questioned it. But I did. we did get married, and, um, and we were married for um, about a couple of three years. I don't remember now how long, and... I wanted to have another little boy and uh, have another baby, so we we had Lee. Uh, <clears throat> but before um, before I had Lee, I should back that up a little bit. When we moved into a neighborhood when we got married, of a lot of partying, and we we were right, you know, where we needed to be uh, because there were lots of alcoholics in that neighborhood, and we had a good time. We had a lot of parties. We partied, you know, when it was snowing and when it was the 4th of July or whatever, we could always find something to have a party with, and we had a good time. Um, and the drinking really didn't bother me that much. Um, we had to keep it hid because when my mother and daddy would come, we couldn't have that have it out. It had to be hid. And um, I remember so well one night uh, they came to eat supper with us, or after supper, and uh, Jerry had a beer that he was having with his dinner. And um, my mother says, wanted to know what he had in that, what was she, he drinking in that bottle. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, he, he taught Sunday school, and we went to church, in my home church. And when he would get to pre uh, prepare the Sunday school lesson, I thought it was really strange that he would drink gin while he was preparing the Sunday school <laughs> lesson. I, didn't, I couldn't understand that. And I, I drink it on Sunday. I thought, well, you know, I was raised in this little town that, you know, people didn't talk about drinking. Um, but anyway, um, about after about uh, four years, um, we moved to Atlanta. Um, and so, you know, when we were moving to Atlanta, that was going to be really exciting. I, I was just looking forward to moving to Atlanta. Things were just going to be absolutely perfect. I loved the house we bought, and uh, I thought this was just going to be great. And so we, we moved to Atlanta, and, um, and everything went pretty well, you know, for the first year. Uh, the drinking really wasn't a problem, but again, we found another neighborhood, 
it's always there. There's lots of lots of partying, and uh, it just it was just great. We would go party with our our neighbors, and uh, we had a great time, and um, a lot of drinking, and um, but it would begin to bother me because uh, I couldn't I couldn't understand um, what was happening. I was getting you know it really was bothering me a lot uh, behaviors, um, you know. As I heard Marge say one time that you know the behaviors bothered her long before the drink, and you know if I look, have to look back and know that that is true, the behaviors come, and um, and I started watching. I started watching the booze and um, tried trying to decide on what I could do to control this, and um, it never worked. Uh, I would um, water the booze down, and. Um, that never worked. Uh, we had these little decanters that I would uh, put the what well, scotch in because well Jerry liked he liked he liked gin but um, gin did some weird things. So um, he would he would drink I think um, I don't know he started drinking scotch but um, I would water the scotch down because I, it didn't really show that much you know when I would water the scotch and I put it in the decanters because I thought. You know that would work, but it last longer because I would pour it out of the big bottle into the ca into the decanter, and uh, and because when we were going to have drinks in the afternoon, I would set the the, the decanter out, not knowing that he um, would just keep drinking. You know, it was I didn't know that the effect is what he wanted, um, and I would notice how many drinks he would have, and um, I would you know when I had a drink, I would always measure to make sure I had. Um, had a had an ounce or a, whatever, and uh, I figured that the mo more he was drinking, it must have been about a cup, eight ounces a day. You know, and I mentioned to him one day, I said, "You know, I think you're probably drinking eight ounces a day." <laughs> now, and you know, I, I realized too when I moved to um, when I moved to Atlanta that I had I was in, under such control of Jerry uh, that you know it's like. I allowed, I allowed all this to happen, that I, I, I changed so much about myself just because it was just the thing to do. I, I grew up, my, in, in Greer, South Carolina, everybody was a Democrat, or at least my, my father was a Democrat. But when I met him, Jerry, and you know, there was no way that you would be anything but a Republican. So I became a Republican. Um, and and uh, I was under I was just under it. I was under his power and not my own higher power is what it was. And um, when we would go to bed at night, I was you know we had to uh, we went to bed at the same time, and we hugged before we went to sleep. And then when I got up in the I couldn't get up in the morning until we hugged. <laughs> now if I woke up and I wanted to get up, I couldn't because he was still sleeping. I re that's the way I was. I mean, those rules had been set. And um, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's like I lost my whole person, you know? Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't do what I wanted to do. I mean, wh who, I, who I am. I'm, 
I mean, I know today who I am. But anyway, I was under such, you know, all that control um, that, and, and, and also, let me tell you this too, um, Owen loves this. When I came, when we moved to Atlanta, this was a metropolitan city. Now, I moved here from Greer, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and there we have breakfast, dinner, and supper, all right? Now, in Atlanta, well, you, what you need to say is you have breakfast, and you have lunch, and you have dinner. Now, if you say you're having dinner and you're eating at 12 o'clock, people are not going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you need to change this. So I had to change what I said. We have dinner at night, and we have lunch in the middle of the day. If I want to say I'm going to have supper today, I say I'm having supper. But it, well, anyway, we went on with this deal about drinking. <clears throat> this went on and on, and I don't have to talk about the drinking because that's not we're, we're here for recovery today. But anyway, I was crazy, just as crazy as I could be. Uh, Jerry would uh, come home early and early and early in the afternoon. But he would come. He when he would come in, I would be in the kitchen because I had. Oh, we had to have dinner at 6:30. We needed to set a time 6:30 dinner, and so therefore I had to know about. Three o'clock in the afternoon, at least, what I was going to have tonight for dinner. And um, so he would come home, and I would be in the kitchen. The booze is in the pantry. So he would come in. Naturally, this would be before five o'clock. And he would come in. He would have already had a drink. So he didn't make a drink then. See, I didn't realize he had already had a drink. So he comes in, and he goes upstairs. Little did I know that there was booze upstairs. <laughs> there was booze on the main floor and there's also booze in the basement. So he, he was going upstairs to get undressed, have a drink, come downstairs, and go down to the basement for something and get a drink down there. By 5 o'clock, of course, he could be back in the kitchen, and it was okay then. <laughs> you could get the booze out on the counter, and it was legal at that time. <laughs> but, I mean, this went on and on and on, that he was worn out from climbing the stairs when he got home, going up to get the booze back down. This was the way our life was. It was just crazy. I was nuts. Well, anyway, um, I, I was getting uh, more and more depressed and didn't know what to do about it and talked and talked to my friends. And um, I finally did go to the minister at my church and, uh, because I was hurting so bad. And he told me about Al-Anon, and I'd never heard of Al-Anon. I'd heard of AA. I, but I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was for people. It was for alcoholics. And um, so I went to him and, told, and found out all about Al-Anon. This was in January. I did not go to my first meeting until April. I went, talked to him, and I felt better. You know how that is. But what got me here, I had a friend of mine died, and um, uh, I went to her funeral. Charlene was a very active person. And I went to, went to her funeral when the uh, minister was saying that this lady knew how to stop and smell the roses. And I sat there and I thought to myself, yeah, and she's dead now. And I'm really dead. I'm not doing anything about my life. I'm just depressed and sad. Don't know what to do about this situation that I'm in today. So that day, I went to my very first Al-Anon meeting. It happened to be on a Thursday, and I went to 
Sandy Springs Al-Anon Family Group, and that's my home group. Um, that was the first time I went. And um, I don't know what I heard at that meeting or anything. I just know that I was glad because there was a person there that I knew, and it made me feel comfortable. Um, I, at that time, I was involved with the Atlanta chapter of Alzheimer's uh, disease because my father had Alzheimer's disease. And uh, I was in, very involved with that. And um, that really had helped me a lot because of the support group that we had formed uh, in our neighborhood. Um, but anyway, um, I began to get serious about it and started going more. And, um, and they suggested that I go to an open AA meeting, and I decided to do that. One night I, I, I said to, um, to Jerry, I said, well, I'm going, um, I'm going there's, an a, there's an AA meeting tonight at 8.30, and I, if you would like to go, I thought I might go. And um, he didn't say anything, whether he would or he wouldn't. And I had confronted him now at this time about his drinking. It was bothering me. And, um, and of course, he said, I'm going to do. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better after you know. After the first year, I'm going to really do something about it. And I asked him about it, and he said, um, "Well, haven't you noticed? I've cut down." <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I, we had we had eaten eaten our dinner, and um, so I kept thinking. Oh, I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. Am I going or am I not going? And. Uh, so I went to him and I, after I had cleaned up the kitchen and I said, uh, well, Jerry, I'm going, to an, I'm going to the AA meeting. And he looked at me so strangely and he said, I can't understand why you're going to an AA meeting. I said, well, I'm going to learn. That's why I'm going. And it was raining. Oh, it was pouring down rain. And I got there and I thought, what am I going to see in that room? You know, I couldn't, I had been to an Al-Anon meeting, but I must have thought that the AA meeting, I didn't know what I was going to find when I went in that meeting. But I thought, I'm going. I'm here and I'm going. I jumped out of that car and I went in. And it was, it was the greatest meeting. Uh, it was just, it was, there was a lot of laughter and, uh, and there was some hope and, and the fellowship was just wonderful. And I, I have loved them ever since. I love to go to open AA meetings. And if you have never been and it's not a part of your, your program, I really urge you to go because it teaches us about the disease of alcoholism. And it's the family, the family disease of alcoholism that we all are affected by. And this is where you learn a lot about the disease. It teaches us that it's a, not a moral issue. It is, a, it is a disease. And it's a serious disease. But anyway, I, I, did, I did go to some of the meetings and um, um, I continued to go to Al-Anon and I got, got a lot more active in Al-Anon. And um, about, and it was in June of 1964, um, I was just, in, I was so low because it had got, things had gotten so bad at that time. I mean, he was just drinking a lot, you know. And I need to tell you this little story too because this was just, this just went to show you how we, how we were. I need to tell you that before I tell you. We, um, we would watch Lee, my youngest son, that was part of part of what we did. We would sit in the den and watch. Uh, you know, Jerry would pass out or whatever. You know, and we he was sitting in the chair one night in his rocking chair watching television and had a glass of wine because you always had to have wine with dinner at night. 
And so he had his glass of wine, you know, sitting here, and he had just gone to sleep, uh, you know, passed out here. And he still had his wine here, and so Lee went over and just took the wine glass and set it over here somewhere. Jerry's hand never moved. He just sat there. And then when he kind of came to, he was just like... <laughs> it was just like a dreamer. I mean, it was gone. It was gone. But we would look for bottles and look for bottles, and we were laughing about this the other day. Somebody, I was laughing with somebody about this, that how we would look for bottles, and, and when I would find where the bottle was, I never would take it and throw it away or anything. It was just like a, looking for an Easter egg. It was like, I found it. <laughs> you know, I found it. And so <laughs> I couldn't understand where the bottle was in the car because I never could find it. So Lee said one night, he said, I'm going out and look. So he went out and he looked and looked and he came back and he said, I found it. <laughs> where is it? So we go back out, and it was in the jack where you keep the jack, and it was just really, and it was, was just like you looked at it, just there it is. It's like you found it, and you wanted to be sure and put it back exactly like it was. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I guess I had the right idea because there's no use pouring that out because you're going to get another one put right back. I didn't know that, but that's just how crazy, the kind of crazy stuff that we all know what that is because we've all done it or something similar. But anyway, in 1964, um, Jerry, um, on, on a Monday morning, we had gone to a celebration on Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was a great embarrassment. And uh, so <clears throat> anyway, I was just, I knew at that time that I wasn't going to live like that anymore. I was not. I was going to ask him to leave, or I was going to leave. I couldn't stand it anymore. It was just too much. And um, But he got up and got himself together and left that morning. And he called back and he said, um, well, I finally did it. I said, what did you do? He said, I told him about, you know, I, I needed help. I said, for what? <laughs> he said, for my alcoholism. I said, oh, you did? And he said, yes, he did. So he he made the decision that day and it was the lowest I guess it was his bottom and it was my bottom that hit at the same time um, And but my feeling at that time was that I didn't care I didn't even care it just didn't make any difference because there was not anything left in that relationship it was like a shell or it was just like a total emptiness there wasn't anything left I didn't feel any love I didn't feel anything except maybe anger or hate or whatever. And it didn't feel good to have all those negative, negative feelings. Um, but he, di he did come home and, and he went in to, um, to be detoxed. And um, it's amazing how that pink cloud can just fly right in and light over your head. Because the next, you know, in about the next day, I couldn't have been happier. And it was the most beautiful summer of, uh, you know, for all of us and then I came down off that pink cloud and it was pain it was a lot of pain and I really needed this program um, but I got busy and I kept going uh, to meetings and um, and he began to go to AA and we've gone to fellowship weekends and that's been wonderful to go and be with friends and it's been a great part of our recovery um, 
uh, and one thing that has really helped me a lot is um, my um, group got me right into service of doing meetings, uh, chairing meetings was the first thing, and then they elected me treasurer, and that gave me something to, you know, that really helped with our self-esteem because I had no self-esteem. I didn't feel good about myself. Um, I did um, seem to always, I got back into taking better care of myself, keeping my hair cut correctly and dressed nicely. And um, and then I got into, um, I was elected GR and um, began to come to the um, district meetings. And um, Jenny and I were in that <coughs> together, and Esther is here today. And I was trying to remember if anybody else is here with our our ninth district, and we all we really had a great district going to Macon, and um, it was it was really it was good for my self-esteem. I look back, and I really learned a lot. And um, you didn't have any choice with Lila, <laughs> but it, it was fun. We had a good time, and and I'm glad that I was a part of that. And um, but today, you know, we. Um, Jerry's very active in service, uh, and I, you know, and I, and I am. I'm not in at the district level anymore. His program, and I have my program. Uh, today, I have choices. I get up at six o'clock in the morning, and I get up and I have my um, prayer and meditation. That's what I do the very first. That's the way I start my day. Get my co turn the coffee on, have my prayers, get connected and um, do my readings, and um, I, then I take a walk. I walk at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I walk 2 to 3 miles in the morning, and it's just great. It's, uh, you know, I feel like I have a, and you know, today I have choices in doing what I need to do for myself. Um, we're together today. We are still married. But I can have my life today. I don't have to be under the power of another person that, you know, we do things, we work out things together. I'm not, it's not to say that I, that we, uh, you know, don't have a life together. But today I know that I can grow like that uh, oak tree in the forest. I can, I can grow myself. I can be me. I, you know, I love people. Um, I just love nature. I love to get out and just enjoy. You know, I see things today that I've, I, don't ever, I don't remember ever seeing before I got into the program. There's this beautiful tree that you see today. Uh, it's not time for it to bloom yet, but it's the umbrella magnolia tree. Now, you know, our magnolias is our state tree. We know what those are, but if you don't know what these are, they're beautiful. The leaves are this long. And the blooms are just magnificent, if you've never seen it. But that tree had been on my street, I know, as long as I've lived there. And I've been there for 28 years. And, you know, I never saw that tree bloom until I got into Al-Anon. <coughs> I never saw it. And uh, I never paid that much attention to the heavens. Um, I just love looking at Venus now. And it has been so beautiful to see in the sky and the crescent moon, sometimes it's in line with the crescent moon, and it is just, I mean, it's just like, I can't believe I'm seeing something so wonderful today. There's so much beauty out there. I feel like I don't live in a negative world anymore. I live in a positive world. Um, 
I love to hug, and you know that that's just a part of me. And um, it's, you know, it's, um, it's fat-free. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, it's recyclable. And you've got to remember this. When you put your arms around another person and embrace another person, then God follows with his. Just remember, you know, that embrace is wonderful. But just remember, when you do that with another person, then God follows with his. Um, I can't tell you, you know, today how, how happy I am. You know, Charlene and I were talking about um, a while ago about how um, that we had a time one time to do a lot of sharing. And, uh, and it was about my, uh, my first husband. That has been a lot of pain with me in this program, and I still have a lot of pain about that. Um, it takes a long time to recover totally, I think, from things. But we have to do it in steps. I know today that I didn't cause that illness, and I, can't, I couldn't control it, and I couldn't cure that, just like I couldn't cure alcoholism. Um, but I know today that I can arrest it, and the way I can do that is by continuing to come to Al-Anon and share with you, and um, I really just thank you for being here today. And um, I love each and every one of you. I found everything I need in this program. I found the love, and I, I feel special. Each one of you make me feel that way. I can, I can do something for you, but I don't have to do it today to make you love me. I can do it just because I want to do it. And I love you so much, and thank you so much for being here. <laughs>